Hi, I'm Kamu. I'm an entrepreneur and VCOM Honors Investment Management graduate. And I'm Darren, a CFA chart holder and a newsletter writer. And you're listening to the Upstart VC Podcast. A podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs about the things they're building and to investors about the entrepreneurs they're backing. Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. Today we're having a chat with Vuyani Tati, the Group Financial Manager at Startup Bootcamp. Our theme for this episode is diversity and representation in the VC space. Instead of the usual elevator pitch you've grown accustomed to, Vuyani shed a little light on what diversity means to him. Let's hop in. What diversity means to me is not necessarily just representation of and and you know of people that look like us being in the spaces that we occupy, but I guess it's just you know accepting and thriving with different ideas that just make the world a better place. So that's that's what diversity means to me. You have arrived at your destination. Vianney wants to leverage venture capital and investments into changing the lives of ordinary South Africans whose needs are not necessarily understood by funders and investors. We now sit down with him to chat about how he plans on doing this. This is a really interesting and sensitive topic to cover, um, like we've spoken about before. Um, yeah, I think what's really important around the topic of diversity, to me at least, is uh, your, your so, sort of your con- your, the context, everybody's context is different. Um, and that's what sort of informs how you perceive the world around you. Um, so with that in mind, I think it's quite useful to, to have an idea of like what your personal background is. Um, so you said you originally from Joburg, but it would also be cool if, you, if we could hear like your family background. So for example, I'll just share a bit about myself, I suppose, is that I'm from a single, a single parent home I was born in Kimberley, um, but we moved to Cape Town when I was quite young. But I mean, the the fact of uh, being in a single parent home that also um, changes my perception and my view on the world, and also how I interact with the world. So, um, yeah, maybe just chat a little bit about your sort of background. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was born in Joburg, like I said, spent some time as a writer growing up and then moved to another uh, location uh, called Foslerus in Fundo Park. So I think that's where um, a lot of my childhood or good childhood memories came from. So I have both my parents. Um, so it's not necessarily like your typical black story. So I have, I have both my parents. Um, and then I think like in the early 2000s, moved to the suburbs of Alberton and Brackenhurst. Um, and that's where I spent most of my, you know, adolescence, uh, life. And it was during that time when my parents split and things yeah, effectively, uh, just started going down from there. So with, um, a lot of things happening, ended up moving back to my dad's family home in Soweto, um, where I completed my matric effectively still in the same school. And then... Um, applied to varsities after the trick, uh, didn't quite make it because I didn't have enough, uh, marks, uh, to, to really get in and do what I wanted to do, which was accounting. 
So I spent uh, the year after Midpack effectively spending six months um, redoing the trick. Well, basically three subjects out of the trick, which was maths, science, and accounting, just to get the marks up. Um, and then reapplied to, to universities and got into UCT. Um, that was in 2009. Um, so basically that, that was uh, a bit of my background in a way. So um, I was a typical, you know, normal, unremarkable, if you want to call it that. Um, I wasn't really an A student, but I wasn't flunking either. So I was really, you know, your average uh, or above average uh, kind of student. Um, generally kept to myself and my hobbies, you know, played a bit of rugby, bit of soccer, um, you know, uh, just explored quite a bit. Um, so I think, you know, my childhood has kind of like shaped a lot of, of what I do. Um, you know, uh, I'm not really from a well-established background. Um, but the one thing that I could say, you know, that I learned, the biggest lesson that I learned from my parents, um, even though they're no longer together, is just their resilience, right? I mean, you know, my dad has been unemployed for long as I could remember. Like, he's, he's struggled to find work. My mom worked for a bit, and then she for the longest time became unemployed as well. But the one thing I learned is that, you know, regardless of the situation of what, you know, or what, you know, life brings, just never give up and you never know when things will change. So I took that um, with me going forward. And I think that forms part of my, you know, resilience to get into spaces that, um, you know, normally would not be perceived to be the spaces we belong in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's quite a cool, um, not, I suppose not really cool actually. It's, it's an important aspect to talk about is the fact that for periods of your childhood, your, you say your parents were unemployed and surely that's, um, that really affects the way that you um, sort of have a relationship with a job once you actually get a job yourself as an adult and also yeah. your outlook yeah. on um, sort of job security, I suppose. Like, do you think your, your parents being unemployed for, for periods of your time growing up affected the way that um, you sort of approached what you would like to do when you, when you were um, graduated from university? Uh, most definitely, right? So just to put it into a bit more context, um, I've always known that I wanted to be a CA, right? So I, once it came into my mind that business is something that I wanted to do, um, my next thoughts was, so what do I need to study or understand um, or to maximize my exposure to the business world? And for me, it was about understanding the language of business and that for me was accounting and finance. So going the CA route was something that, you know, I wanted to do and I literally had tunnel vision for that and you know you hear the stories like once you get the qualifications you know you start making the buck once you have the four letters behind your name so that was a very very big driver in my decision of becoming a ca but um fortunately it was you know that thought in terms of making the money was forefront but it was also coupled with the fact that i didn't really want to take on any job just for the sake of making the money so i, I kind of had a different way of thinking around it um in that way um so that drove me for quite a bit until what i would consider my biggest failure i guess or not necessarily biggest but you know one of the the, the things that changed my life um which began what i called my quarter life crisis 
So in 2011, I was academically excluded for the first time. Um, and that for me really uh, forced me to really take a step back and then really look at what I was doing and why I was doing it for. Yeah. And, you know, you guys can appreciate the fact that, you know, you're the first to be going to university, uh, not to presume for either one of you, but like you're the first in your family to go to university and a lot of their hopes are being pinned on you to, to really be successful. And now you're faced with this academic exclusion, you know, you can appeal it, but it's also like, okay, I appeal it and then what? So I kind of had to retreat within myself and really ask myself, why am I doing it? And like, who am I really doing it for? And through that soul searching, I met, you know, quite some interesting people. And one of the people who changed my life was Simon Harry. And um, he really forced me to really dig deep and to really understand, you know, um, what that meant for me. And when I realized, you know, and it hit me and it was like, okay, I was really doing this for my parents and not necessarily just my parents and, and you know, driven by the economic situation, but also just the perception of, you know, the kind of life that they had to lead where for the most part, they probably felt like failures because they couldn't do for their kids what they had hoped for. And everyone really, you know, potentially looked at them as failures and kind of have expectations that we as their kids would also amount to nothing. Um, so that, that was kind of a motivator. So when that hit and I was like, okay, this is not really sustainable because you get to the point and you get that success and then you, you've, you've met and you've ticked all those boxes and then you really got to ask yourself, okay, what now? Yeah. Right. So, you know, I've qualified, I've got all this money, but I still have like 60, 70 years of my life ahead of me. What does that really look like? Yeah. Um, so that was like the basis of my core life crisis and that kind of changed my outlook. And through that development, I kind of uh, got to the point where I was like, okay, cool. I know what I'm passionate about, which is social development um, as well as business. Yeah. So how do we merge the two um, in order to make sure that my why is far bigger than just um, what I've been doing this for. And ultimately it still encompasses like the first goals that I had, which my success in essence and whatever I decide to do that meets that ideal of that goal will inevitably take care of my parents and family back home. Yeah. So that's, in essence, has been the driver, uh, or the change in the driver of, of you know, my background and what I do. Mm. Yeah, that's quite, <clears throat> quite interesting. Um, and it's really profound that eventually, like, your, your, your outlook changes, that your, your success through you wanting to maybe be a positive change in society like if you're successful in that, you should also be successful in a career and being able to provide for yourself yeah. and also for your family. Um, yeah. And I, I suppose um, that's quite um, similar to what I would like to do, I suppose, just me personally, is have a positive influence on society. Um, yeah. And I guess I, I do sometimes wonder if that isn't a bit um, too... Um, seeing the world through those tinted glasses that like if you do well to the world and you know you kind of just um you will also be relatively successful and, and survive on your own um i sometimes do wonder but that's a that's a, a separate point i guess um if you're doing well means that you will succeed um just financially yeah. and 
um, just materialistically, I suppose. Um, yeah, but that's an aside, and that's a different topic. Yeah. <laughs> I think what, what would be really cool to chat about as well is then once you kind of did realize or decide that you wanted to have this positive impact on society, but do that through business, how you went about entering into the startup ecosystem first through um, your role at Yoko, and you can maybe chat about that, and then also how you got into Startup Bootcamp and, and kind of how your your ideas and your your vision, I suppose, um, resulted in you um, navigating your career. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess my path has always been unconventional. As you can hear, my getting into varsity was not as smooth sailing as everyone um, you know, might hope. Um, similarly to my start in the, in the venture world. So, and as much as I had that revelation and that profound discovery, um, I still was pursuing the CA qualification, right? But at the same time, I was a entrepreneurial in my nature. So um, the tensions that I had, and I think it's just a personality trait that I have, is that sometimes I tend to want to fight the system way too much than really fully understanding the system in itself and really understanding where you can actually make that change. So... I really struggled through my degree purely because I couldn't see the connection with what I was studying, with the real life applications of how I would apply it in the real world. Um, so I struggled with that. Um, and also just with the qualification of, of qualifying as a CA, the structure was just, is I guess still a bit too rigid for me and just too tailored that it just didn't fit the mold of how I really wanted to do it. And because I wanted to, you know, get exposure into certain things that weren't necessarily within the confines of, of qualifying as a CA. There was always that clash. Um, I mean, I've ran businesses on the side. I was a co-founder of um, an online house magazine called um, Clarent House, um, which spawned uh, a DJ agency as well as a record label called Clarent House Records. So, you know, Clarent Entertainment was like outside house during varsity. So, I've always had that entrepreneurial bug that it really doesn't fit the corporate mold. Um, but when you're trying to get a qualification that kind of like puts you slap bang in the middle of corporate, there will always be that tension. Yeah. So through that, um, you know, working through that tension, you kind of get to the point where life is just like, look, dude, you're just bashing your head on a brick wall. Um, maybe, you know, this isn't the path and you seem to be stubborn and wanting to take this path. So maybe let's change things. And when I didn't get into honors, um, PGDA rather, yeah. um, I think that's when things kind of changed. And I was like, okay, maybe I do need to take a bit of a break. And that's when I joined Yoko um, on a full-time basis. But um, in order to, to get into Yoko, you kind of like have to tap into my network. So through the discussions I had with Simon Harry, he introduced me to Bradley, Bradley Watrous, who's one of the co-founders of Yoko. And um, we just started talking and having conversations on and off. And then he offered me an internship in 2015 when Yoko was still you know, just about to go live. So they were entering into their pilot and their visa phase. So I joined Yoko as an intern um, just to try and bridge that gap between um, what I'm studying versus um, how it applies in the real world. And, you know, you guys can understand that when you come from the backgrounds that we do, 
getting that kind of exposure is is hard because you know we don't really know enough people that either work in corporates or yep. are in the right kind of positions that can actually afford you the opportunity to get the exposure that you need. Yep. So you know that that you know call it chance taking to to actually intern with Yoko was a blessing um, in itself because once I got that exposure, um, my academic marks started you know. Uh, going way up because now I could see the connections of what I was studying and how to actually apply it in the real world, um, which is a real disadvantage to you know, people from our backgrounds because what I found in varsity as well is that we tend to struggle through the courses because we just don't have that bridge. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I got into Yoko. And then in 2017 is when I joined Yoko full-time as part of the finance team. And I was with them for about two and a half years. Um, and through that, I still kind of had aspirations of, of really understanding the VC space because that's kind of the conversations I was having with uh, Bradley and the other founders of, you know, how does this VC thing work? How does it actually, you know, what does it entail? What does one have to do to, to really get into it? Um, you know, and they did their best to try and accommodate me. And I met a couple of people in the industry. Um, who weren't really like fund managers per se, but um, the one person that I did meet, which I'm not going to mention because he he prefers to stay uh, anonymous and private, um, really did um, open my eyes to 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 the kind of decisions um, investors make um, because he generally invests out of a family office. Basically, uh, he invests off balance sheet. So I had my first glimpse into what it really takes to be an investor in this space because it's completely different to investing in, in, in public markets. Um, so through those back and forth and those discussions, um, I kind of, again, you know, spoke to colleagues who knew people in the industry. Um, and then I met uh, through a former colleague, um, an investor who's based in Cape Town called Olivier. Um, of our ventures and he got me in touch with the guys at SBC because I was kind of looking for a change um, in, in an environment and, and career trajectory and kind of really wanting a foothold to get a you know a leg into the, the VC space and he knew the guys at SBC so he got me in touch with uh, Philip I had chat with Philip and that's how I got into VC okay. um, indirectly effectively because we're not really a fully fledged VC firm yeah. but we do um, work with startups um, which is you know, okay. and, and into the industry basically yeah yeah so, so so maybe just before we move on to like um, what you do at, at SBC startup bootcamp um, and come mm-hmm. and deal, some of, deal with some of those questions just just to summarize essentially your journey was influenced a lot by people that you had met and connections in the industry rather than um, what you had studied and what you knew. It's more connections correct. and people introducing you to sort of avenues of interest. Um, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yo, Vianney, man, like I've just been itching to just jump in on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just been like so many parallels that I've seen with like your story and my own, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the whole like, you know, not getting the proper marks and all these yeah. things, right? So it's the, the classic just hero's journey, you know, you got yeah. that call to adventure, meeting a mentor, you know, 
trials and failure, then the growth mm-hmm. through that, and then eventually, you know, reaching atonement and then getting the gift and reaching the end, right? And yeah. uh, suppose that journey um, repeats itself in different phases of your life, right? Um, right. The first version for you was early on <laughs> in your in your you know sort of not even career, but like just in your life in general. Um, but anyway, um, I'd li- I'd like to speak more about um, your journey into VC, um, and I know that you you mentioned that you were raising a fund. Um, yeah, can you please tell us? what it's about and what stage you're looking to invest in um well it's a it's a capital fund so unfortunately we're not going to be investing in any new startups other than the startups we currently invested in in our current portfolio um but i'll i'll just give you a synopsis of our hypothesis so i mean i'm still fairly new to the industry but what i've come to find is that there's, there's like a chasm, a massive gap in terms of funding from uh, the seed stage to Tuesday. Um, a lot of the investors or VC investors that are in this industry at the moment tend to focus on Tuesday and, and beyond. Um, and there's like very little to no you know, seed or angel investors. So what we found in our startups that, that we accelerate and then you know, support after our program is that they get into the program, they 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 excel, they get accelerated, they get they hit the numbers that they need to hit. Um, you know, some even do pilots and get commercial agreements with our corporate sponsors. Um, but when it comes to raising additional funding, um, because of that chasm, there's very little investment opportunities for our startups going forward. So we were like, okay, what can we do then? Um, to try help our startup founder, um, you know, raise the additional capital that they need, or at least bridge them enough to get to Series A, and that's where the AfriTech Catalytic Growth Fund um, came to be. So it's effectively a capital fund, which is, um, in layman's terms, just funds that are going to be used to invest um, additional funding into the startups that we've already invested in. Um, with the premise that us being the first check into the next round will, um, you know, ignite to catalyze uh, further investors to to try and come in and actually lead the round. So we don't uh, lead any of the rounds. We accept the terms that come with the lead investor that the additional, um, you know, the funder will come um, with. And hopefully that will ignite the, you know, the growth that they need to ensure that our, our startups get to um, Series A. Um, so that was the premise. Um, it's effectively a nano fund. We only are raising about $8 million um, for the fund. And that's effectively what, what the purpose is, is, is for. Um, but because, you know, we work in an accelerator program, this in itself is going to be a pilot um, in order to, to try and bridge the gap of talent by, you know, creating a structured program or facilitate, uh, um, you know, a program that will actually get first time fund managers, um, into the industry. So, and as much as, you know, this is, uh, an, an experiment to, to help ignite, uh, you know, your seed stage, um, funding. It's also a pilot to try and get first-time founders out there 
um, and actually get them the experience they need um, with very little risk um, uh, on the downside as, as possible. Um, so yeah, that's the current fund that we're raising for at the moment. Yeah, that sounds super cool. Um, and I like that you, you mentioned the allocation of capital um, within the incumbents. There's so much to speak about in, in terms of the industry. I don't think the time enough. Just yeah, keep yeah. The, structured the, the time doesn't allow. And I, and I really want to just ask one question, which is kind of like veering off from you know, the agreed upon uh, questions, but I'm just yeah. itching to get yeah. So, you know, a lot of the capital is is from, you know, the, the siege stage, right? And from what I've seen is that like, you know, the investors right now aren't looking at pre-seed or, or seed because mm. of the inherent risk um, when you invest at that stage, right? And then this is also kind of like, exacerbated um if you're going to now try to invest in a segment of the market that is underrepresented and what i mean by mm. that is um founders from previously disadvantaged backgrounds right um, yeah. so you know what are some of the ways you think that you know vcs can um go about uh addressing this need for funding from that segment That's, that's that's such a loaded question because <laughs> there's just so many layers to it. Um, look, I guess the simple question, and I think it's the question that everyone understands, is that one, we need more representation in the VC space that actually understands that segment of the market. Um, and tackling that problem is easier said than done because one, talent that comes from that that space is inherently forced. And this is not just a VC kind of conundrum. I think it's just purely private sector South Africa, where we are forced to fit into a mold that is completely foreign to, to where we come from, right? So climbing the corporate ladder means literally letting go of aspects of, of who you are and where you come from. So for as long as, you know, South Africa or private sector South Africa doesn't acknowledge the fact that we need more people in decision-making spaces that are diverse and are truly representative of, you know, the areas that you're really trying to tackle. And then it becomes really difficult. Um, and it, it, it makes it very hard to really answer that question directly because until that kind of layer is really solved, there's very little that we can do other than, you know, us who come from those backgrounds, really just starting things on our own and investing in our own. And, you know, for whatever reason, that still seems to be frowned upon, especially when it comes to the black community. Um, yet any other community can do that and it's okay. So, there's a lot of aspects that, that need to be tackled. So I know I'm waffling a bit, but there's just so many layers to this that it's, it's, it's hard to give a direct answer. Um, but I can answer it in this way from where I've gotten to is that, uh, and I had this discussion with Darren, is that for me, the current structure, LPGP structure does not work 
um, in terms of tackling that problem, purely because you're taking money from people that aren't from that community to invest in a community that they don't understand. That requires way more um, investment time horizon than your traditional um, VC structure allows. And, um, you know, you, if you take that person's money as, an, as a GP, you're kind of forced to really limit the kind of decisions that you can make purely because it's not your own money. So my dream and my hope is that I get to the point where I can start investing off balance sheet um, because that um, you know, is the only way I foresee um, where I can really make a difference in my community because I'll be investing my own money in an area that I fully understand and I know the kind of um, solutions that I needed to solve the kind of problems um, that I currently face in the communities. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And I think it warrants a, a further discussion offline. Um, so yeah. I see we have, <laughs> we have seven minutes. Um, so Darren, I'm not sure you want to go into some of the learnings and then maybe close off with the last question. And we'll call it. Like I'm yeah, more than sure. happy to have like a two or three parter because this this is not like a one parter kind of conversation anyone can have. But yeah, let's 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 see what we can do. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a it's not a um, a conversation that you can sort of encapsulate in about forty minutes. It's no. quite a long discussion. Um, but I mean, just just chatting about your career and 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 you were now just giving an example of how you would like to sort of what the goal is in terms of investing off balance sheet. Yeah. But just if you had to restart your sort of career again, um, how, what would you do differently? Um, so that's the one question. And then the other thing I suppose is over your, the last few years in your, in your working career, what has been the, the highlight and the, the hardest thing to overcome? Then we'll go to the final question. All right, cool. So, I mean, I've been given much thought to that. So what would I do differently? Um, question and I find it difficult you know because like I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason so I think the path and the journey that I've walked I had to walk it that way um, in order to get to where I am so there's very little I'll probably do differently um, yeah I think I think I did everything that I could do right and that I continue to do so there's very little I'd, do, I'd change um, and getting into where I am now. Um, the biggest joy that I find in my career is literally the founders that I work with and I come across constantly, right? And just having, like, seeing the solutions that are out there, seeing the way in which they're just passionate in solving all the problems that exist, not only in South Africa, but on the continent. It's just awe inspiring and, you know, um, that for me is, is, is why I do what I do, what I do and why I get up in the morning is, is really, um, trying to help and support as many founders as I possibly can, but more importantly, founders that come from my community. Um, you know, and just imparting the knowledge that, you know, I had to struggle to, to get and and impart it the best way I feel I can and hopefully they take it and run with it. Um that's that's the biggest joy. The biggest challenge um I think is just the challenge that's inherent with the history of this country. Um 
purely because we understand how things work and, and what needs to be done to get there. Trying to get someone from a Kailisha or a Alex to really understand what, you know, the incumbents in the space are really looking for and the kind of things that they need to be focusing on in order to build sustainable, scalable businesses uh, proves to be challenging purely because the kind of role models we have have this like weird, not even weird, just like this preconceived notion of what entrepreneurship should be or framed a different way, this hustling for hustlers, for hustling sake kind of mentality to entrepreneurship, which really isn't what it takes to build a business, right? Um, also trying to change the mindset that funding is important, but is not everything in starting a business, right? And the best form of funding that anyone can get is sales. So if you really go out and sell your product, that is more of a validation on your business idea than getting an investor on your cap table. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, those are the, the challenges that I know won't be solved now, but, you know, because I'm passionate about it, it's something that I'm, I'm you know, I'm dedicating the rest of my life to trying to, to solve. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Um, and then just because our time is about to end soon, just very quickly, um, the question that we basically ask everybody else is if you had a hundred thousand US dollars, um, what would you invest it in? So in your fund, what like of the funds, I suppose, would it be what would you invest hundred thousand dollars in? Uh, I can't speak about I can't speak about my portfolio because I love all my kids, all my children equally. Even in your personal capacity, what what would something be that you would invest in? Um, like as an investor, um, there's there's a company that I'm really excited about now called Guili. They are a smart a smartphone manufacturer, basically like the cheapest smartphone provider. Um, and the problem that they solve and for me excites me, which is not intuitive if you're not from, you know, the backgrounds that we are in. So effectively they're trying to increase the adoption of smartphones, especially from previously disadvantaged communities. Um, so I could get into really how they do it, but that's, that's where I would be putting a majority of that hundred K. Um, for them to really uh, flesh out the, the pilot and get to the desired number of users that they want to. Um, awesome. And sadly, a lot of the investors in South Africa just don't see the value, which is frustrating, but it is what it is. Awesome. Thanks so much, Briani. Yeah. I think our time is up. Um, yeah, thanks so much for, for spending the time to chat to us. Um, really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll, we'll try to chat again cover a few more broad topics in future oh, definitely thanks for having me guys really appreciate it and i'm loving the podcast really really love the first episode thanks so much man. yeah shout out Bianni. thank you man right thanks guys bye that's it for this week thank you for listening if you like this episode please leave us a review on apple podcasts or on the apple podcasts website if you are not using an iphone we'll add a link in the show notes if you had any thoughts on this episode or suggestions of guests or topics we should explore, please email us 
at highupstartvcpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.